people. Welcome back to the Inner Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Carolina Salazar, and I'm so excited you're here today. I hope you're having a beautiful day. I hope you're doing well. And if you're not, I hope this podcast gives you a little bit of a relief from that. And I hope that you remember to pour into your own cup today and every single day. And on this episode, we are in with another guest conversation. Today, I interviewed Laura Moncolm. She essentially is a co-founder of a company called Walla and in this episode we kind of dove into how she combined all her career experiences from being a yoga teacher being a fitness studio manager and being a business consultant and observing all these different frustrations and stressors that fitness studio owners were facing and the limitations that they had when it came to their software offerings to then launch Walla and she also just recently announced a $13 million Series A round during the pandemic, which is really impressive. And that's all with the goal of bringing fun back into fitness and giving studio owners this more streamlined solution for their businesses. And so in this episode, we really dove into her own career progression, the things she learned along the way, the realities of being an entrepreneur when you're already a mom and a little bit further down in your career path, you know, trusting the timing of your experience as an entrepreneur, the different things she learned, different mistakes she made, things she would do differently. And we also just talked about the overall atmosphere of being a fitness studio attendee, like going to a fitness studio and creating community with those you work out with and all of that. So it was a great conversation. I'm sure you're going to love it. And if you do, please let me know. Make sure to tag us on your stories. And if you haven't yet, definitely make sure to join our Inner Growth Club free group chat on Geneva so you can connect with other podcast listeners, other people who are into holistic health and wellness and just growing and glowing into their best selves. So all you have to do is check out the link in the show notes for the Geneva group access. So I hope to see you there. And before then, I hope you enjoy the show. And with that said, let's get into the episode. I will see you on the other side and let's get growing. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited you're here today. How are you doing? Hi, Carolina. I'm great. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. Really excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you on as well. And the first question I ask all of my guests, which I'm sure you know because you've tuned into other episodes, <laughs> is what is your sun, moon, and rising if you know it? I do. I <laughs> I actually don't know my moon rising, but I know my sun is Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So that's, I'm sure that's not a surprise to people who know me and to actually observe many entrepreneurs and leaders, right? Yeah, I was about to say, I was about to say, I feel like Capricorn is so like entrepreneurial and like resilient and motivated. And in my own chart, like my part of my chart that represents my career is ruled by Capricorn but I actually don't have any placements, like no planets in Capricorn. So it's an energy I'm always trying to channel more. And I just love Capricorn mm-hmm. women. I feel like all Capricorn women are just badasses. And oh, I love learning from you guys. So. Yeah, I should have, I guess, done a little more research on my other two. But I feel like Capricorn definitely describes me. So it's fine. That's, that's all I need to know. <laughs> 
Amazing. Amazing. So for anyone tuning in that isn't familiar with the work you've done, could you just share a little bit about Walla and what it is and kind of the process of founding your company? Sure, absolutely. So I exist in this world of boutique fitness. So when you think of boutique fitness, that's the yoga studio down the street from you. It's cycling, bar, um, boot camps, hit fitness, anything that you might do in like a class setting or a small group class setting, Pilates. And there are tens of thousands of studios like that across the country. They It really kind of picked up in the early to mid 2010s. I mean, there were bits of it beforehand, the Pilates studios and the yoga studios. There are some OGs out there. Like we've got mm-hmm. clients on Walla that started their yoga studios in like 1980, before I was born, like 1981. Wow. <laughs> um, but for the most part, there was a really big rise, especially in the US in like 2009 to 2015. So it kind of evolved as this movement of people that like to do their fitness practice in collaboration with other people, led by an instructor in a room um, with music, with community. So that is my world. I started teaching yoga when I was in my mid twenties and it was kind of a, a, just a side gig to my sales career. But I felt so deeply in love with the practice, especially after I was a college athlete, I played volleyball in college and again, Capricorn competitive. <laughs> There's a theme here. I I needed something that wasn't as competitive and something that would help heal my body after kind of the beating it had taken after, you know, playing college sports. Mm-hmm. And yoga was such a perfect outlet and home and everything felt so natural there. So I was invited by one of my teachers to join a teacher training and I did it and loved it. And it just felt so natural to sit in the seat of the teacher in a room. But I also brought my business mindset to every studio I worked in. So I'd be really diligent about, you know, helping out at the front desk and selling memberships and, you know, encouraging people to come back to my classes because I saw that these are businesses. They're not just, you know, spaces that exist for free for us to enjoy, you know, movement. And it's it's something that's got to be profitable and sustainable. And I found a lot of frustration around that because a a lot of the studios I taught at would go out of business or change hands or you know constantly have new owners and new names, mm-hmm. and and I could see the resistance a lot of the owners had to operating it like a business. Like they they were scared to ask people to buy memberships or for money or it was just an uncomfortable conversation, and I felt sorry for them in some ways. And I felt like there was a lack of education, a lack of tools that were available to them to really learn how to make a profitable and sustainable business. So when I had the opportunity, I was actually asked by um, somebody I knew in the yoga world to come on to run a large yoga studio in San Diego. And I, I stepped into that role, managing a team of about 40 employees running a big studio, very busy. Had to learn how to you know manage the PL and hire staff that are very temporary part-time staff and grow business and and i had to get to know the software behind the scenes so that's kind of where it all started the need for me to really become an expert at the the software and the back end of how these businesses run and that propelled me to launch a, a consulting practice a, a small agency for fitness studios where we did software and management consulting And in that time, I got to know hundreds and hundreds of studios around the world. I would speak around the world at different conferences and just get to know the the challenges they were all facing. 
And, you know, at the end of the day, my business partner who I had worked with in that time, I was actually an advisor for his fitness app. He and I constantly would talk about, you know, the need for a better platform out there. And ultimately we just decided to take the leap and start Walla. So it's, it's the everything behind the scenes software for fitness studios. You know, everything from your booking classes and, you know, payment processing memberships to managing staff, teachers, payroll reporting, client management, communication. So everything that it takes to run a studio business. Amazing. Yeah, it's so cool how, as I said to you before we started recording, I was taking a look at your LinkedIn. And I think it's mm-hmm. so cool how I think every experience you had prior kind of led you to yes. launching your own company, right? And yeah. even prior to this, like you were already kind of running your own company. You were just a whole different thing with more right. consulting as the vibe for the business. But right. I think every experience we have in our careers kind of teaches us something new and helps you evolve into new ideas, new things. So I just am really inspired by that progression. And before we start recording, we were also talking about the element of like community and how Mm -hmm. that kind of weaves into fitness, right? Like so many of my friends, like most of my friends love to go to like a solid core class or like to a Mm -hmm. yoga studio or to just be in a fitness room and be around other people and be in a class and be motivated by this instructor and just like the whole vibe. So mm-hmm. as it's grown, as that's, you know, become more of a trend of a thing, as you said, in the last like 10 something years, you were saying that the element of community really stood out to you. So yeah. can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like sure. how you see community weaving into fitness and mm-hmm. why it's important? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually, I, I was so curious about the same question that I ended up doing a, a ton of research and looking at the science. And there's actually an amazing book called The Joy of Movement. Kelly McGonigal wrote it. She's a PhD out of Stanford. She was a yoga teacher. I think she's got three books. One of them, she's got a really famous TED talk on about like the importance of stress, like the, the benefits of stress. But this, I think this is her most recent book called The Joy of Movement. And she, she luckily did a lot of the research for me. <laughs> she essentially took a look at why people are apt to connect with others after moving together, why movement connects and brings joy and has such a powerful impact on our brains, our biology. And one of the interesting things that I learned, first of all, this isn't a new concept. Like the, the first scientist that actually looked into this concept of community around movement was in 1912 in France. And the sociologist called it collective effervescence. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it actually, I don't know how to say that in French, but <laughs> I'm sure it's beautiful. <laughs> and I loved that explanation of it because there is just this like bubbling up of energy that happens together. I picture effervescence, like a champagne flute, you know, like the little mm-hmm. bubbles coming up to the top and people's neurological state changes when they move. And when you move in synchrony, so with other people in similar movements to music or to words, our brains are actually primed for connection. So it dates back to our past, 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 past ancestors who needed to hunt and gather and forage and you know scavenge for things together. And it really, we've relied on moving together as a team to you know hunt an animal and have food for that week for the, the village or whatever. Mm-hmm. So 
there is this actual biological connection that we have to other people when we move and breathe and accomplish something together. So I really, what I love about that in connection to boutique fitness is that you have this really safe container for moving and breathing and not just, you know, taking a class and checking a box, but actually progressing towards something, right? Like the first time you step in a yoga studio ever looks very different a year later, like your your actual movements look very different. Same with, so- you mentioned solid core. Oh my yeah. God, they're so yeah. hard, right? Like I thought I was gonna yeah. die the first time I took a Legree <laughs> class. <laughs> But you you observe the people around you and you see that there are people modifying what they're doing to to you know accommodate their bodies or you know their limitations. You have teachers encouraging you to challenge yourself or back off depending on what you need that day. And there's just a really um, accepting environment for you to grow with other people around you. And then the huge benefit is that afterwards we're biologically wired to want to talk to those people and to want to learn a little bit about them and, you know, maybe share a little bit more about ourselves than we would in a typical situation. So I find that there's such a, um, a need for more people to step in the doors of boutique fitness studios. And one of the benefits of COVID, I, I give this talk sometimes about the silver lining of COVID in our industry is that the digitalization of fitness actually gave us the ability to do the same thing just over a screen. So accessibility and inclusivity became a little bit more of a thing in boutique fitness where, you know, before it felt potentially a little elite or like a little, oh, I can't, you know, either afford that or get to that because I'm working all day. Now there's an opportunity to be, you know, maybe in studio once a week and then live stream your three other classes from home. And that just makes it so much more accessible to people all over the place. Yeah, completely. I think that that's so true in the sense, especially what you just shared of like the silver lining of COVID, because I do think for a lot of people, it led to this kind of increase in a desire to move their bodies. Mm -hmm. And so many creators, like so many people who are in the fitness space, you know, started posting so many videos on YouTube, on Mm -hmm. Instagram, like live streaming, doing all these things. And I think the element of, you know, working out from your home, working out from your screen definitely became a lot more normalized and it helped a lot of people find it more accessible, as you said. But I also think that it doesn't foster as much of that feeling sometimes of like, oh, I'm next to someone in class and like it's a hard class and you kind of just look at each other and you're like dripping in sweat and you're like, oh my God, this is kind of, you know, (laughs) it's challenging. So I do think there's a really important element too of like the physical space of fitness and being connected Mm -hmm. in that way right and that's when we started walla we were really really passionate about i mean we actually started walla right during the pandemic march 2020 is when we formed our company as an s-corp and we we fully believed that people would come back to that in-person experience because there's a hunger for that feeling, that connection. Nothing replaces that feeling, but to be able to continue that thread so that, you know, if you've got an insane work schedule for a few weeks or you're traveling for work or you've got a lot going on with your family, to have that connection and not have to break it and, you know, be able to live stream a class or video on demand a class from home 
is a really powerful way to continue habits. And what we find in fitness and everybody, it's January right now, everybody knows like tons of people sign up for gyms and fitness in January. And, you know, we, we always joke, could this be the year that, you know, the trend lasts till the second week of February instead of the first week of February. <laughs> um, but when you have the ability to continue that habit from anywhere, it's so, so helpful. And when you get back to, you know, your studio, you feel strong, you feel still connected and you feel like you're a part of the community. You're not starting over. Yeah, for sure. Even I was just thinking about this, but there's this one studio, this one yoga studio I really like in New York for hot yoga. And Mm -hmm. when I kind of felt disconnected from fitness around a year and a half ago, so like at the end of 2021, I started going to hot yoga at this studio and kind of fell in love with it. And it was the workout I was doing like every morning and then I kind of stopped for a while and today I went back after a really long time without going and it just this is just such a familiar feeling it's like Mm -hmm. feels good it feels like a comfort also to go to a studio that like you used to go to right and there's an interesting we're in this really interesting time where especially the millennial gen z generations are less likely to be a part of a church community or a part of like a neighborhood community boutique fitness studios can really feel like give that same feeling that a church community could give or you know we even see things like yoga church on schedules because people come into studios on sunday morning and maybe there's like a really beautiful theme for that week and it's just about you know some of some of the same things you'd hear at church right but just without the dogmatic kind of surroundings so it's interesting that you say that it just felt like home i think a lot of people have that same experience and it's it's something that again we can't really explain sometimes but in our bones in our brains we feel comfortable there and we feel connected to the people around us yeah definitely i also think there is an element of like it being intimidating, especially as you said, mm-hmm. you know, trying your first solid core class or like going to a yoga studio for the first time versus, you know, going for the first time and after you've been there for a year. Yeah. And there is this element of like, oh, yeah, I'm growing in my relationship to fitness. I'm like mm-hmm. evolving. And maybe there's an instructor you always go to and you always, you know, go to their class because you love their vibe. And yeah. I think that's really special. If anyone's moving to a new city, I always recommend going to a fitness studio because if you go to a class consistently or find something you like and then you show up, you can see if other people are also showing up consistently to that class. And, you know, yeah. eventually you might work up the courage to, you know, tap them on the shoulder or just be like, hey, like you did a great job or hey, like you've come here often, whatever, like creating new friends through that as well. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I was running my yoga studio, actually, it was so interesting to see the relationships that, you know, came out of it, the friendships, the I mean, literally marriages. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting yeah. to see how that it becomes. Oh, for sure. Like, absolutely. People got married that run at my studio. <laughs> Wait, that's so cool. I love that. And yeah. just kind of switching gears a little bit. I kind of want to dive into like being a female entrepreneur, launching yes. your own company, because I know you're already past series A, which, you know, means you've been doing it for like a while now. So mm-hmm. how has that experience been? Like, what advice would you have to anyone who also wants to be an entrepreneur and like if you could go back to your past self what would you tell her Ooh. well how the experience has been i will say it was 
interesting timing because as I mentioned before, we started this company right, you know, during yeah. COVID, which ended up being a crazy blessing because we were able to, you know, build and like have our developers work really, you know, behind the scenes while everything was shut down. But we also got to observe how the industry really adapted what the knee-jerk reactions were versus what the like the real consumer trends and habits were. And frankly, the world changed a lot. You know, their yeah. boutique fitness has had a big impact on a lot of people's lives during the pandemic. They they found, you know, a place that they could connect to, but the industry took a massive hit. So we had this great time to sit back and kind of observe and build and do some really innovative things that we didn't you know intentionally plan on at first but now as a result of the pandemic we got to add in but i will say just in general going into entrepreneurship my business partner actually asked me to join this or start this company with him twice before i said yes i said no twice because i was so scared <laughs> so just for those of you out there thinking about starting a company fear is a hundred percent a part of it like it is scary to say you know what yeah i'm gonna shut down my very profitable consulting business and take this on full time because yeah. i knew i could make such a massive impact in the industry and potentially on the world i know it sounds grandiose but if mm -hmm. i can get you know five percent more of the american population consistently going to fitness classes that is a massive impact on the health and wellness of their communities i mean it is unbelievable how somebody joining a studio and consistently practicing can change their life and the ripple effect it has from there. So I just honestly followed my heart on it and believed that this was going to be the right thing to do. I have an unbelievably supportive husband and two kids that were in the right stage for me to do this. So uh -huh. I do, I'm a nine and an 11 year old and I often say like, I don't know if I could have done this when they were babies, like it's, that would not have been the right stage of motherhood for me to be able to invest the amount of time and energy that I am right now in a startup. But it was intense. I mean, you have to believe in something a lot <laughs> because there are 2am, 3am nights and there are times where it's like, it seems like everybody needs you for an answer and there is an intense demand on your time, your energy, it's just give, 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 give all the time. So I find that if I were to do it again, the advice I would give my myself going through this would be to have a habit around a consistent nourishing practice, maybe outside of yoga, because yoga was my consistent nourishing practice, but that's work for me. Like even if I step in a studio, I'm thinking about like, ooh, that could be done differently, or I would do this, or, you know, that's that's the business world I exist in. So I probably would have committed to a nourishing practice that would help me just personally grow because I have a really hard time, and I'm sure other entrepreneurial people out there have a really hard time turning off work. It's all consuming if it's something you love. And it doesn't feel like work always, so it's easy to default to it, but it is definitely something that if you don't take brain breaks from, it becomes almost an addiction, right? Like you you can't live without constantly working on and doing something greater and better and, you know, fixing and solving problems and that can exhaust you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You just shared so much good stuff. That has so many <laughs> comments. Uh, but I think okay. like the first thing you shared is like, you need to really love what it is that you're doing because as you said, like you're spending a lot of time on it, first of all. Yeah. But also yeah. there's definitely going to be people that maybe question what you're doing that maybe aren't oh really supportive. 
and like working through that like if your boundaries are really frail and like you aren't all in it's really easy to be like oh like maybe you're right or to fall to that fear from other people and so I think that that like passion that love for what it is that you're focusing on is really important so I think that was a really good point and then also it's really interesting that you said no to your business partner twice because I think that was also like it was the timing you know it was like 100% now you're feeling like super aligned with the timing and it's like your kids are at the right age and all of that it's for a reason so it was almost like your inner compass saying like wait a little bit yeah you're so right and honestly wait a little bit worked because if we had started even six months earlier with COVID happening we would have had to go back and scratch half of what we did, right? Because it's just so much changed in the world. So yeah, you're spot on. And actually, when you said earlier, like looking at my LinkedIn profile, even it's like I kind of evolved. I had this, I don't know, epiphany at one point that it's been amazing that the next stone just appeared, like the next step on the path. Like when I've been super clear and intentional about making decisions and not just knee jerk saying yes or knee jerk saying no because I have like this, you know, like, oh, I'm too busy or I've got this going on. When I've been intentional about decisions and kind of taken time and said no twice, but then said yes, you know, like I was very intentional about that. And the stone just like the the next step appeared and our CTO, you know, entered the picture. And then the next person for the organization that made such a huge impact, Natalie, our, our head of product, things do align themselves when you really get in tuned with what you need and what you are, not just what you need, I shouldn't say it that way, what you are able to give and what you are able to create in that moment, like what your capacity is allowing you to create. And sometimes that's financial capacity, sometimes that is energetic capacity, sometimes it's creative capacity, but we can't be all things all the time. And Mm -hmm. I find too, like I meet entrepreneurs that have amazing ideas all the time, right? And I oftentimes reflect the mirror back to them and just say, awesome, can you do it right now? You know, like, is it right for you in your life? Is this the time for you to take that leap? I think people sometimes are waiting for that, like big sign to appear that like, oh, this is the moment, you know? And it's Mm -hmm. not always like that. It's can you in your heart and in your mind be aligned enough to say, yes, I have the capacity right now, go. Yeah, I think that's so important. And even as a personality trait, like something I used to identify a lot with that I'm kind of reframing kind of recently for myself is always being the person that's like saying yes to everything and having Mm. this mindset of like, I can do it all. And then I recently started reading this book. I'm halfway through it and it's already made a huge impact on me. It's called Essentialism. Mm. And like, that's his core concept is like, Take the things that you feel most passionate about to invest your time in or like whenever you're about to say yes to something like don't say yes automatically like actually reflect is this the most aligned am I passionate do I have the bandwidth is this the best use of my time because especially as an entrepreneur time and energy are your biggest resources and the most valuable and scarce ones so learning to manage that is so big and something else you shared too that I wanted to circle back on is like the self-care practice that you know will help you turn off and I was I was laughing to myself because I feel like that's such a Capricorn thing of being like yeah like work can become an addiction or you know when you're like super passionate and it's like coming out of love that it doesn't even feel like work so you want to keep doing it (laughs) and then you know not like actually taking a step back and being like wait like am I nourished am I pouring from a full cup so what are some practices that have helped you yeah reading is one I reading is just 
one of my little escapes. I pick up novels all the time and whether I'm audiobooking them or holding a book, either way, I actually did start getting into audiobooks quite a bit more during COVID because I'd walk my dog so much and mm-hmm. it was a nice way to kind of multitask. And writing, actually. I love writing. I I don't know that I really write poetry because I don't really know what poetry is, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, I think I do. And I've been playing around with what a book might look like. So I love writing, but I don't always write for other people. It's it's oftentimes just for me to to pour things out. So those two things are really important. And then moving outside, like just, I live in San Diego. So beach walks are something I love. I need to make that more of a, you know, consistent practice, but just our family, you know, once a week, we take the dog to the beach and go for a long walk. And that is the most joyful time for all of us, dog included, you know, we just always have such smiles on our faces and my kids, even if they're, they've been fighting like all morning, we get to the beach and the two of them like take off ahead of us and I mean, just nonstop chatter the whole time. I was going to say, I bet they love that. They love it. It's so, it's just, yeah, one of those fill the cup moments for sure. I love that. What kind of dog do you have? She's a mutt, but rescue. We got her, actually, thank God, right before COVID, like where there were actually dogs available, but uh, she's great. She's some sort of a terrier mix. I love that. I really want to get a dog this year, so we'll see if that happens. But I agree with you on both of those habits. And I feel like reading and writing are two like great nourishing activities that you really can't really do with anyone else, right? Like when you're reading, you're really in your own world. Or if you're journaling or writing things out, it's also just you're connecting to your mind and you're processing it and you're putting it on paper and releasing it. And I think that also makes it a really special practice to have. That's such an interesting point. I never thought of it that way before, but you're right. Cause I am extreme extrovert, like very, very, very much enjoy spending time with other people and being around lots of energy. And you're right. Maybe that's why it's so nourishing for me because yeah. I am forced to be by myself when I do those two things. Yeah. And I am the same way. Like I love being around people. And so prioritizing self-care and prioritizing alone time has been really big for me because sometimes it's very easy for me to also say yes to so many social plans and then not find that I'm having a lot of alone time. So incorporating those little habits can be so powerful for that reason, because as you said, it almost forces you to kind of get into that zone. And when you think back to like your whole journey so far since the launch, you know, all the things you've learned is there anything you would have changed? Like, is there anything that you would have done differently? Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure there are. There are lots of things. I've made quite a few mistakes along the way. So I, w- <laughs> if I could go back in time and erase a couple of those, I would. Um, yeah, I mean, interesting, just from like the business perspective, we made a couple of really like important business decisions early on one of which was that we wanted to have our team like here in the us and be employees and have them all have a share in the company so they all have equity and that was something really really important to me that i question i i mean i don't question why i did it i know it was the right thing to do but you know sometimes when i look at our financials i'm like oh my god that was the most Mm. expensive decision no wonder other companies can do this you know in such a cheap way because they can outsource it and have double the size of a team or whatever but i i wouldn't say i'd do that differently but it's just one of those questions i have all the time i love our team they're amazing But it also, you know, if anybody's on this call thinking about business, like there are these big, heavy decisions you have to make like that. And it's 
challenging because there are things that feel core to like, yes, I believe this is the right way to run a business. And then there's the seemingly financially smart thing to do or the seemingly, you know, easy way to go about it. I don't know if there's anything big I would change other than I think just from the get go, having a little bit more clarity sometimes around who our exact client is, because we tried to put out an MVP that would work for a lot of different types of studios. I might have gotten a little narrower on that so that we could have, you know, gotten a few more clients on earlier and in the product. But, you know, ultimately, again, like you said before, things end up working out the way they would have. Even if I, even if I think, oh, we could have started with something a little smaller, got a few more studios on board, gotten more feedback early, we could have had, you know, triple the number of clients by now. But I think right now it's worked out that we have the number of clients. We've got a great group of clients. We've got over 100 studios on Wall and Out, well over. And um, it's been, you know, less than a year of selling or about a year of selling. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really proud of what we've built. And that's so I, important, you know, yeah. being proud of it too. And I think that's really big. Like, I think that's really big because as entrepreneurs, a lot of the times it can be really easy to not focus on what went well necessarily or like yeah. you know, what you feel proud of and always focus on what could be better or whatever. Mm. Or like, oh, we have this many clients, but we could have la la la. Mm. And I think that's a really healthy perspective to have is like the founder is the leader as well, you know, bringing that sense of like accomplishment too. Right. Um, but I wanted to clarify actually, so when you said like when you launched with your MVP, which for anyone mm -hmm. listening, that basically means minimum viable product. So it's like right. the most basic service you could offer and then you test it and then if it works, then you build on it. Mm -hmm. Were you saying you wish you would have kind of like niched it down even more? Mm -hmm. Is that what you were saying? So Yeah, essentially. It's interesting. My, my business partner would push me on it all the time. He'd be like, all right, would you launch without that? Would you launch without that? And I'm like, no, no, no studio could live without that. You know, I, I think we made a really big MVP product, which took a little more time and it enabled us to work with bigger, more complex studios, which in turn have bigger, more complex problems and challenges. So, you know, starting with a smaller, and actually this is a good like entrepreneur lesson, like start with something small and paired back and test and then grow on that and, you know, test and grow on that. And it doesn't mean be everything to everyone. You never will be able to be, but find who your core client is and find those people who are going to be even if it feels like that's a really small audience, like as long as you know it's not too tiny that you could never be profitable, but like one single location yoga studios, you know, maybe that is exactly who our core client should have been for our first six months or whatever, rather than, oh, any boutique fitness studio with any number of locations. So I think it's, uh, we are definitely much more pared down than a lot of our competitors. They say they can do like salon, spa, you know, every kind of business out there that's in the wellness world. And frankly, it doesn't work that way. They have such dramatically different needs. So we did niche down, but you can always niche down a little bit further and, and test and see what the, the response is because you learn so much when you get people in your product, using it, asking questions, observing how they, how they accomplish things. So, yeah. And it's funny to hear that because I feel like most people would imagine that if a product is more broad, Mm -hmm. And if it applies to more people, then more people will use it. Right. Right. But that's not always the case. 
No. Yeah. I mean, this kind of pivots into a conversation around fitness in general right now. I think the studios that bounced back from COVID really well are the ones that were more niched and that were very, very clear on who their client was and what their product was that they were delivering. And the ones that had something a little unique or a little more unique did well even down to like hot yoga bounce back better than vinyasa or regular yoga because they people mm -hmm. wanted the heat so anyway i think it's good to have that really unique selling point no matter what your product is if it's fitness if it's you know a physical handheld like widget <laughs> um, yeah. something that is really unique and very clearly speaks to an individual your individual client yeah totally i think that that's really interesting something i'm always pushing myself on because I sometimes have a really challenging experience with niching and like going mm. really, really specific. And so I think that that's something I'm always wanting to learn more. Yeah. And when it comes to like finding balance as mm. an entrepreneur as well, I know you shared kind of, you know, how there will be like 2 a.m. nights or there will be nights where you're wearing a million hats. Yeah. You're in a different life stage than I am, but in your current reality, in your current experience, and in your previous career experiences too, how did you find more balance? Like how do, were you able yeah. to balance, you know, feeling like you have to do so much with also wanting to be there with your family, growing mm -hmm. your family, you know, your personal life, your social life or yourself? Yeah. yeah, it's it's a really good question. I think one that gets asked a lot is like how to balance. And I actually... I heard a, a female CEO say this one time that you can't actually do it all at the same time. So I really took that to heart and listened to it. And balance for me sometimes looks like 100% as a mom or 100% in my business, because the more I try to be like 70-30 or 50-50 or whatever, I feel intense, intense pressure and stress on both sides to be better at the other, you know, like... I'm such a hundred percent all in person that if I feel like I'm half-assing one side of things, I'd almost rather say, kids, I'm not going to see you today. Like, I love you. I will be home to put you in bed, but I have a really intense work day today. Or, you know, I need to take this Friday off because my kids have off school and I need to be present with them because I really need that like one-on-one -on -one time. So to me, that feels more successful and more balanced. Like, a hundred percent or a hundred percent rather than trying to do it all at the same time and like knowing what is the priority in the moment exactly exactly and i think honestly i hope that my kids feel that and understand I, I mean i know they do they're always like it's okay mom i know work's busy you know or but every once in a while like i i was super honored and my team nominated me for the san diego woman of the year awards and so I was one of the, you know, 100 nominees that made it to the finals for this awards dinner. And when I got home, my kids were like, did you win? Did you win Woman of the Year? And I was like, no, I didn't. I, you know, I made it to the finals, but I didn't win. But I started describing the woman that won. And she was just this unbelievable, like, mogul, like, so many accolades and on this board and that board. And my son was like, I'm actually really glad you didn't win because I already feel like you do a lot. And if you won, that would mean you have to do more and I wouldn't see you. And I was like, oh, 
you're right. Oh, buddy. that's so cute. You know? I know, but that's like that's the reality. And I really have asked them to communicate with me about their needs for my time. And who knows okay. if I'm doing it right? <laughs> I this is all the way I'm doing it. Who knows if this is the right way? But it works for me mostly because anybody out there who is like a driven, high achiever entrepreneur, it is really easy to beat yourself up when you're not doing your best at everything. So you just yeah. have to find the moment. The perfectionism where... really gets you. Yeah. Yeah. And actually that's funny. One of my, the quotes, that's like my, I have it on my wall. I have it, like I read it all the time. One of my, my daily quotes, it's a Brene Brown quote that says, perfectionism is the 2010 shield that we hold thinking it's protecting us, but it, in actuality, it's the only thing that's preventing us from taking flight. So yeah. it's, it's that constant reminder of, you know what? I can't be perfect all the time, but I can give my time and energy 100% at a time to each thing. Yeah, I love that. And is that from Gifts of Imperfection? I wonder if I it is. I don't remember which book it's. I've read so many of her books, talks, I can't talks remember. a lot about perfectionism, so yeah. it could have been from anything. But yeah. I like it a lot, especially because one of the things I was reflecting on that I want to be much better at in 2023 is putting less pressure on myself mainly because I want to reduce my stress like I really mm -hmm. just want to I feel like I do so much in the wellness world and for so long I still start feeling just not well and so mm. this year big focus for me was literally just going to bed earlier and reducing the pressure I put on myself and I mean when we're recording this it's like still pretty early on in January but I do feel like it's already making a difference but it has to be a really conscious effort especially if you are a high achieving person to just really be able to tell yourself at the end of the day, like you did enough, like, or, you know, time to log off, time to put your computer away and like go unwind and give yourself some space to, you know, yeah. pour into your own cup a little bit. So yeah. And look down the mountain. That's something I've been reminding myself and reminding our clients and our team, like, look how far you've come today. You know, it's right. every day is yeah. just this climb up the mountain and you've come pretty freaking far and maybe not every day you reach the top, but you've gone far every day. Wait, do you know what the symbol of Capricorn is? No. Oh, a goat. It's, it's a mountain goat. And so <laughs> the analogy I always use of Capricorn is like, you know, you're climbing this mountain and like in the process of climbing a mountain, you're learning a lot because you're like observing the mountain and you're saying like, oh, okay, this path is better like that one, you know, and eventually when you get to the top and you let's say have to climb back down the mountain, you're going to know the path. And so I just love that you. Oh, that's so funny! I love it. Okay, I forget. Look about down the that. mountain. Mm -hmm. Perfect. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Oh my gosh! I want to jump into some rapid fire questions. Okay. To close out the episode. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been so fun picking your brain and just getting to hear a little bit more about your story and the advice that you have. And so you already kind of answered the first one, I think. But do you have a quote or a mantra that you live by? Uh, yeah, that Brene Brown one definitely <laughs> is my is my main one. I don't think I, there's anything else that stands out as like the daily, but that one's on my wall, so it works. Like, yeah, remove the shield of your own pressure on yourself. Yeah, perfectionism holds you down. It's it's definitely something that is going to stop you from moving forward. It's it's heavy. Perfectionism yeah. is heavy. Yeah, it is, and like most of my listeners and community members are perfectionist also so I'm sure they'll resonate mm -hmm. with that and in terms of books you said you're a big bookworm 
So what are some books that have really helped you kind of become your best self or just grow into a better version of you that you would recommend? Yeah, Brene Brown, I've got a few of hers, but Rising Strong was one that I really, really loved. Like getting in the arena is tough and, you know, it's easy to have people shouting at you from the cheap seats who are not willing to put in the time, the energy, the work to risk what you risk getting in the arena. So that was one that really resonated because it made me stop worrying about, I mean, I won't say stop, but it helped me not listen to the naysayers quite as much. And then Big Magic, Liz Gilbert, I really loved. That one was a fun, just kind of reflection on how amazing we all are as human beings and what we bring to the world. But gosh, there's so many novels that have also impacted me. I I have so many books that, Paula McLean is a writer that writes a lot of incredible historical fiction. And she's written a lot about Ernest Hemingway. And I have this kind of obsession with the early 20th century kind of artists and writers that were in Europe post-World War I, pre-World War II, and just the, uh, the dedication to their art that they had. She writes a lot about the dedication to their creative process and their art. And I kind of got wrapped up in that because it's as a creator and as I, I'm not like an artist or, or a, an amazing, you know, painter or anything, but the dedication people have to their creation and their craft is so beautiful. And I love her writing about that. So I'd say that's What's her mine. name again? Paula McLean. McLean. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned the big magic book too, because a mm-hmm. few other people on the podcast have mentioned it. And it's a book that I've every single time said, I need to read it. And then I keep forgetting but I need to actually go and like download it on my Kindle. Yeah, it's or Audible it. I, I love her on Audible for whatever reason. She's a, I think she reads hers. Anyway, it's it's a good one to listen to yeah. and read because you're going to want to like bookmark and underline and all that stuff. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like not a huge of like audiobook person, okay. but I love podcasts. So I guess like I learn a lot from the podcasts I listen to, but I do think audiobooks could be something interesting to explore. And then next question is, what makes you feel like your higher self? What makes you feel like your best self? Being outside. I mean, that's my instant reaction when I take a breath and think about it. Anytime I can take a deep breath of fresh air and feel sunshine on my shoulders and be surrounded by the people I love, that is where I'm best. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. that. It's like the simple things most right. Times. Like I know. everyone who I always ask this question will be like, when I'm in the ocean or when I'm, I don't mm-hmm. know, like cooking or when I'm dancing or when I'm in nature, when I'm yeah. meditating, like it's not anything grandiose that connects no. us to our best selves. I know. And it's so easy to put off those really simple things because there yeah. are seemingly one million other things to do instead, but it's a good reminder. Exactly. I'll finish this and go take a deep breath outside. <laughs> love that. Love that. And the last question is if someone did not hear this episode, mm-hmm. they only heard this part, what would you want to leave them with? I would want to leave them with the power of connection and the ability to connect to other people when you've moved and breathed with them, when you have you know, been in a class and synchrony moving together, there was a really unbelievable thing that happens biologically, neurologically, that primes you for connection with human beings, other human beings. And we live in a time where loneliness is an epidemic and people spend a lot of time by themselves. 
and you know stagnant not moving so yeah. there is an awesome opportunity with so many different fitness homes wellness homes for you to move and breathe with other beings and find joy in it yes yes i love that and I think that ties everything so perfectly. So I just wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast. It was lovely getting to know you. And for anyone who wants to connect with you further or learn more about Walla, where can they find you, follow you, or just use Walla? Walla, yes, awesome. Our website is com, And you can find out everything you want to know there about the platform. For anybody that's interested in checking it out, you can sign up for a demo there, just an introduction call to learn about it. So any studios out there that are interested in seeing how this could be a replacement for your current software system you're using on the back end. And then we have studios that use Walla all over the country from Boston, Denver, Florida, Southern California. So if your studio is moving to Walla or has moved to Walla, give the owner a big high five. It is a big deal to move software platforms and they did it for you because our consumer experience, the, the experience for people attending classes has really been archaic up until now. And we've been able to simplify it. You can use Apple Pay and Google Pay and book your classes and see your milestones at the studios and just really have a full picture of your journey without a lot of hurdles in between. So That's amazing. definitely high five your, your studio owners for making that choice. <laughs> amazing. And do you have a social media handle? Yes, sorry. It's at Walla Software and is our studio one and we're on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. So amazing. find us there. Yeah. Thank you so much, Laura. This has been so lovely and I... I'm very grateful for you coming on. So thank you to you and to everyone listening. Thank you guys as well. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks. Bye.